Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Thursday, October the 15th. Are we running out of flu shots before the provincial campaign even starts? We'll discuss that. But first, this day is going to be a day where I'm sure teachers unions are scrambling to make sense of what was just announced by our education minister, Stephen Lecce. And I think it was a bold move and an important move. Held a press conference today. We carried uh, some of it for you before Jamie Tweedle's news update announcing the move to scrap a controversial hiring rule that gives preference to supply teachers with the most seniority. You might think, why was this brought in? Well, apparently to deal with nepotism um, and favoritism. But there have been complaints from boards and from principals for years about this controversial Regulation 274, uh, which essentially forces them to hire from among a very small group of teachers who have spent the most time on the supply list. And I argue at the end of the day for any teacher who says, well, this is unfair, If you're a really good teacher, you're going to get the job. Like if we're going to be going with meritocracy and you're the best fit, this is how it works with everyone else. That's how people get their jobs. At the end of the day, there are many factors that come into play, not just seniority. And I think if this is truly a calling and you're there to serve the kids, you have to want the best people for the jobs serving your kids. Lecce was asked if he is basically ripping up the contracts. Here's what he had to say. Well, with respect to the collective agreements, in the context of OECTA, as you know, in the collective agreement, we have 35% committed to moving to uh, a merit-based system. So incrementally uh, watering down that regulation by at least 35%, which I believe is an incremental victory for students. Obviously, in the next negotiation in two years, we'll continue to make the case to get to 100%. In the public school boards, in the negotiations, uh, what was agreed upon, what is written in the collective agreement, is we retain the right as the government, the context of regulation, to rescind or um, abolish uh, uh, or amend a regulation. We are exercising that right based on the overwhelming evidence and perspective from families, from racialized families who want to see more diversity hiring. All right. Well, that was Stephen Lecce. So in some cases, you know, the Catholic teachers already have negotiated that. So they're going to have to wait for the the next negotiation time. But they've watered it down to 35 percent. But uh, I'd like to welcome onto the show executive director and founder of People for Education, Annie Kidder. Annie, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Kelly. Nice to be here. What's your reaction to uh, this move, the government scrapping the controversial hiring rule regulation 274? Well, I think it it was an important step, especially right now. I mean, it's been very hard. Uh, People are really struggling to hire enough teachers right now during COVID. So that part is important. It's definitely caused problems over the years uh, in terms of the complexity that you have to go through about, uh, you know, starting with the people that are at the top of the supply list. I hope that we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater here. So I liked that word amend rather than let's just turf this. It was put in place for a reason. And the reason had to, did have to do with nepotism, but also the kind of what is problematic about um, the idea that you, you hire who you know or who you're comfortable with. And even in terms of the, you know, this has come up in reviews of school boards and hiring practices and uh, the lack of diversity, that there can be a tendency to uh, stick with the people that you know well. So we, what we have to make sure is that there is accountability, that there are ways of guarding against uh, the nepotism that was there in some cases, but that also um, allows principals to use their their own judgment more to be able to search out people who are 
the best fit uh, for the school because definitely uh, the regulation as it was being used um, was certainly a barrier to that. But couldn't an argument be made that you could, if you were the principal, you know, you're right, you know, who you know and who you're comfortable with, sometimes that uh, is one of the deciding factors in a job. But couldn't there be an argument for that that boards and, and principals could get around the restrictive rule by just, you know, watching a teacher getting a feel from from them off the top and just not calling them back as much? No. So I think that, you know, and all of those things have to happen. But we, when we think about the last uh, few months, besides COVID, about the consciousness of the importance of uh, dealing with systemic racism, for example, that what we do have to make sure then is that the hiring practices um, uh, take all of those things into account. So it's, it's always a matter of balance. And probably it seems as if, and I've read lots of research on 274 too, it went too far. It actually ended up making something uh, that that caused way more problems than it solved. But again, not wanting to throw out the baby with the bathwater, we do have to make sure that um, principals, school boards have a lot of uh, kind of policy and understanding in place to make sure that um, they're thinking about diversity, they're reaching out beyond the, you know, the people that they know. But you're right, what you do want, you know, you, you do want to have the capacity to, I've had a supply teacher in the school or even a, um, you know, a, a student teacher. Uh, and I, this is a person I want in the school, this is a great fit for my school. And you want to be able to have the flexibility to do that kind of hiring. It's an incredibly important part of the principal's role is creating the the kind of learning community in the school. Um, we heard Stephen Lecce talk about appeal in particular and how their uh, student population is 50% racialized kids. I hate that word racialized. I think that sounds weird to say. So let's just say ethnically ethnically diverse kids mm-hmm. in Peel, 50% of the classroom are, and uh, 25% of the teachers are ethnically diverse. And that's just not enough. So do, do you agree that teachers need to reflect communities they serve? Oh, yes. But Bill, 274 is not necessarily going to do anything about that. We have to look at um, how how we're bringing in teachers into faculties of education, how we're thinking about uh, building more of that diversity in the whole teaching population, because right now that reflects the teaching population. I don't agree uh, that it's, excuse me, it's because Bill 74, Bill 274, Regulation 274 caused that. We do have a problem. It is really important that if we look at the population in schools of teachers, of directors of education, really a problem there, principals, um, we have to make sure that we are we're bringing more people into the system from more diverse backgrounds. But that's going to take changes, as I said, in in faculties of education, too. Let me ask you this. Um, how much pushback do you expect from the unions? Sure, because interestingly, this, this the beginning impetus for this regulation came from one of the federations, not all of them. Um, I think I don't think it's correct to say seniority is not important, and seniority is a part of hiring in many, many different kinds of organizations. And it is, you know, it it is the thing that then uh, gets away from just plain old favoritism or nepotism. So it it is important that that be taken into account. But I'm not sure right now at this point when there's so many other things going 
going on, that there's going to be a huge hue and cry about this. As And again, but with the proviso that the province keeps the accountability part in here so that we don't just toss this whole thing, because we do still have to make sure that um, uh, I, you know, and I'm not accusing principals of doing this, but that people aren't just hiring their friends or their friends' kids or anything like that. So accountability, transparency, those all have to be there. But I, yeah, I, I can't imagine that this is a hill anybody's going to want to die on right now. All right. I want to thank you for your time, Annie. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Cheers. That's Annie Katie, executive director and founder of the People for Education. Dave, I'm going to just do something odd right now. Uh, because our next segment, I think, is going to be a shorty. Let's open up the phone lines, 416-870-6400. I think we can get a couple of comments from people that are parents, uh, people that maybe are uh, involved with education or someone that's in uh, education that might be listening. What do you think of the move, 416-870-6400? Let's get just a quick reaction. Do you think that this is a good idea, getting rid of this Regulation 274, which essentially forces principals and boards to hire from a small group of teachers, five of them who've spent the most amount of time on the supply list. And this was to avoid, you know, favoritism, right? So you're going to hire based on seniority. I think Annie brings up a good point. You know, a lot of people are hired in different jobs based on their seniority, based on their skill set. But I think if you get rid of this and you're just basing on meritocracy, that comes into play. Like how experienced you are speaks to how well uh, you are at, um, you know, bringing a task to fruition, how good you can deliver on, you know, your benchmarks. So 416-870-6400. Let's see if anybody wants to talk about this, because I think I'd love to give you a chance to react to this. I am all for meritocracy. And I think if there's any Thing that the government could move on right now it is changing the school system we've had absurdly low marks for a long time we've had teachers unions that, that get really upset over what seem to be small things when you're uh, looking at it from the position of an average person and i think in in some cases they've made teachers look bad and i have a problem with that because some people think i come down on hard uh, hard on teachers listen there's a lot of great teachers out there it's just that the bad apples seem to get the attention. Hey, Rob in Richmond Hill, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going well. What do you think about this? Regulation 274, am, out the window. I, I am so glad it's gone. I, I, like I was telling your producer, I am the bane of my, my children's principal at the school. Uh, I'm on top of the some, sometimes the horrific teaching that my, my youngest daughter's been getting. We've moved schools uh, to get away from some of it. I'm glad that the uh, much like my union, theirs is getting in touch with the times where it's not, it's not about who's got the seniority. It's about who's the best fit for the job. Plain yeah, and simple. And, shouldn't, shouldn't and sometimes, about, about, sometimes Rob agree, agree with confirm or deny. Sometimes the best person for the job is going to be the person with the longest years in the job. Like sometimes well, that's yeah. just going to happen. Well, and, and that's it. I mean, and, and that person, that teacher in this example should be in the school as a mentor to the younger generation, those who yeah. don't have the seniority, say, hey, this is how you, this is, this is how you teach children. This discovery math stuff y'all came up with is trash. We had great success with this. But then again, I mean, we all see drivers that shouldn't have licenses, right? So you get the other side of that, that spectrum. And unfortunately, it's, it's those, those teachers that get the most attention. They're the loudest mm-hmm. people in the room going, hey, how come I didn't get the job? I have the seniority. Well, you didn't get the job because the principal or the other teachers knew who you were. 
And yeah, and stop doing the uh, the countdown to vacation time on your Facebook page. Yeah. That'll help you out. Exactly. Appreciate. Exactly. I appreciate the time, Rob. Hey, I want to go to Dwight in Brampton. Dwight, uh, your thoughts on this very quickly and what the minister said today? Yes, ma'am. Um, I think what he said this morning, the, the plans that he laid forth and the way they're changing things, according to this bail and high end seniority, I think it's a great thing. I have three school-age kids myself. Two in middle school, one still in elementary school, and this is the first year my daughter in elementary school has an African-American teacher. My 13-year-old son has never had an, an African-American teacher, nor my 11-year-old daughter. And they have been in um, quite a, a couple of schools in Peel region because we have moved. And mm-hmm. again, it's just the same thing over and over. I've spoken to teachers in Peel region that said, listen, we're trying to get into the system. They keep keeping us out. That's just a fact. Yeah, well, hopefully this will this will help with that problem. I appreciate the call. Sam and Collingwood, going to let you wrap it up here. I, I think it's a good idea with a combination of both. I mean, if the teacher qualifies and uh, they, they set all the speculation, why not? But give the person who's been waiting for eight years as a substitute of the first chance. Uh, not that I'm a big thing with unions, mm-hmm. but for... Seniority is important, but at the same time, is it's very important with the uh, with uh, has to qualify. Yeah, I, I I disagree. I think it's such an important job. I got to be honest with you. I just want the best person in the in the best fit for the job, and I'm going to leave that up to the board and to the principal. Hopefully, they're running things ship shape. I mean, I think like at the end of the day, we, we a lot is riding on teachers' ability, right? I mean, your kids' education. And they're the ones that are going to be taking care of us when we're older, building this province. I think we have to make sure we pay attention. Teachers have a very important job to do. I think you'll agree the best person has to be in that position. All right. I want to thank you for your calls. The health minister says we're not running out of flu shots. Uh, There are uh, people saying I had to line up and I called and there was no flu shot at my pharmacy. Some doctors. We heard a doctor in the morning show, which I'll get to the audio of in a second. Uh, talking about the fact that she's running out of flu shots, she doesn't have enough. But all I did is, I, the first thing you do is you, you go onto your drug store's website. So I went on to Shopper Drugs, Shoppers Drug Mart's website, and then you put in your postal code, and they let you know which Shoppers Drug Mart has flu shots available and are doing the clinic in that in your neighborhood. So I found out. Then you go online and you fill out a online screening and consent form. Took me all of like I don't know. Five minutes to ask you if you're allergic to eggs or blah, blah, blah. Are you pregnant? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, took me like maybe five minutes at the most. And then I uh, got my car, drove out. I think I was in line behind three people. The only glitch was everybody else, they give you a, then Shoppers Drug Mart sends you a barcode to your phone. And the the uh, only glitch was I would recommend that you tell them to send your barcode to your cell phone number or whatever. Because I don't know what happened, but she said to me, yeah, you're not in the system. I'm like, well, how do I have a barcode if I'm not in the system? And I'm not sure if it was because I filled it out right away. And then I went like under an hour. Shouldn't make a difference. We're computerized now, aren't we? But uh, yeah, she couldn't find me. So I had to fill it out by hand. And so I I touched the pen. I sanitized with like three squirts. I I really, (laughs) I got greedy with a hand sanitizer after touching their pen. Uh, but I got the flu shot. It took no time. I took a picture, tweeted it out, and I did something that, you know, listen, I've told you, I've given up. During the pandemic, I have given up. I'm not even trying anymore. And thank God that that's the recent trend with uh, 
celebrities and people online sending out the no makeup picture because that's pretty much what I look like all the time. And you can see I, I looked at the picture after I took the selfie of me with the Band-Aid on my arm and I thought, Chris, maybe I could have brushed my hair. Maybe I could have put on some makeup, but I didn't. So whatever. I oh, natural. Kind of, yeah, I'm with the zeitgeist. Everybody's doing the own natural. This is what I look like in real life pictures. Might as well see it. It basically was just to tell people that the flu shot was available. I got it. And it was fine. And when I asked my pharmacist yesterday if he's running out, he said, no, I got probably half a day's supply here. Um, and we're expecting more tomorrow. So he didn't seem alarmed at all. So I was shocked this morning to uh, hear uh, on the Greg Brady show that um, there are some doctors that are uh, right now worried about running out of um, the flu shot. In fact, before we get to the doctor, Anne-Marie, I'm going to hit you with your first clip. You ready to hit it? This is our health minister yesterday saying that there's no sh flu shortage. What flu shortage? I would ask that people either call ahead to schedule an appointment with their primary care practitioner or call ahead to uh, the pharmacy that they intend to uh, to go to to receive the shot, just to make sure that they have a supply rate at the moment. But I know that many of the pharmacies are also um, scheduling appointments as well. But people should not be concerned about it. We do not have any shortages. Our regularly scheduled shipments are coming in well. And I do realize I said there's no flu shortage. I meant flu shot shortage. Um, but this morning, Greg Brady and Supriya had a guest on, a doctor out of Ottawa, and here's what she had to say about what she's facing. In my office, I was given 15 doses of the high-dose vaccine, which is supposed to be for anybody over the age of 65, and I have 185 patients who would fit into that category. And it's even for the, for the standard dose of flu, like, we don't have enough. I have 140 doses of that, and I have 1,400 patients. All right, so there seems to be... I mean, a difference of, of experience right now between some doctors and uh, pharmacists. My pharmacist was okay. Pharmacist was okay. He said, no, we're all good. Uh, Justin Bates is the CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. He joins the show now. Justin, I wanted to bring you on um, to talk about this and see what your members are experiencing. So thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Good morning. So I had no problem yesterday at all getting the flu shot. And I started to feel a little guilty when I heard that doctor out of Ottawa saying, you know, I don't have enough uh, flu shots for my patients that would be of high risk. And she's concerned about that. I mean, I figured I should get my flu shot early because I'm one of the primary caregivers for a 90 year old, my father-in-law. And so that's why I got out and did it. Um, it, beyond the fact that the government is asking everybody to get their flu shots. But um, when it comes to flu shots, what are you hearing from your members? Are they in good supply? Well, first of all, it's great that you had a positive experience and uh, we're able to get some firsthand uh, information back from, from the pharmacist. I'd say that this year is complex without question. It's a, a different kind of uh, flu season with the pandemic. And what typically happens, um, and I think it's important for people to understand that there is no shortage. And what happens uh, every flu season is that public health and the government look at uh, previous trends and orders from the previous flu season. They also look at uh, what's happening in the Southern Hemisphere. And that typically happens around February. Orders are then placed in late spring and the manufacturers indeed are looking at the strains that were prevalent uh, in the Southern Hemisphere and they start the manufacturing process. So, in fact, public health doesn't get their entire stockpile of the flu vaccine until early to mid-November. So this year we're quite early and the mm -hmm. program is designed for the first couple of weeks from the beginning of October 
to have the high-dose flu across all healthcare providers that are enabled to provide this. So that includes physicians, public health, nurses, uh, and clinics, uh, flu clinics that they run, as well as pharmacies this year, to uh, look at prioritizing the population around uh, the elderly and those with high-risk uh, health complications. So, you know, there's more supply coming every day and every week. And the official launch of the program isn't actually until October 19th. And that's when there'll even be more supply available. You know, that's funny. That's exactly what my pharmacist said to me. He said, we actually don't even normally start doing flu shots. Like we're early this year. You mentioned the high dose. There's There are actually two types of, of flu vaccines. The higher doses for elderly, higher at risk people. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And is that the one that right now we're having a bit of trouble maybe keeping in stock? Yeah, so there's going to be more of the high-dose flu available uh, leading up to October 19th, and it's just that. It's a stronger dose, uh, so it's more effective for those that are either immunocompromised or are elderly, <clears throat> have uh, comorbidities, health complications. But the regular dose, um, which has been available since really 2013 through pharmacies, is, is really effective for the majority of the population. Okay, so did I get a regular dose? Did I get a high dose? Do they just look at me and eyeball it and say, oh, no, sister, you're way too young. What are you, 30? You're getting the low dose. <laughs> uh, well, the healthcare professional, in this case, the pharmacist, will use their professional judgment based on <clears throat> the pre-screening process that you went through and to determine which dose would be appropriate uh, in your circumstances. All right. Well, Christine Elliott said the supplies are coming in on a regular basis, just as you did, if not weekly, every two weeks. So... Um, if they are coming in, is two weeks at all concerning? I don't think so. I mean, we've planned uh, alongside government uh, to ensure that every Ontarian that wants a flu shot will get one between now and the end of November and into, uh, indeed, the, uh, the late winter months. The government has ordered a total of 5.1 million uh, flu doses, which will be spread across multiple healthcare providers. And that's a 16% increase over the 4.4 million from last year. So when we look at even some of the public opinion polling that was done uh, by the Canadian Pharmacists Association uh, uh, last month, 57% of Canadians said they will definitely or probably get a, a flu shot this year. And that's up from 45% last year. So the data is aligned with what uh, the planning and preparation has been done to prepare for uh, this upcoming flu season. So who are you advising get the flu shot first? Well, I think anyone that's over 65 uh, and anyone that has uh, health risks. Um, and then, uh, and certainly as uh, the official launch on October 19th, anyone should, uh, we would encourage um, uh, people to get their flu shot, particularly because we're concerned around the twindemic of having the stress and burden on the healthcare system of COVID-19 patients, as well as uh, the regular seasonal flu which could uh, create some capacity challenges within the, the hospital system and elsewhere in the, in the healthcare system. Okay, uh, people over 65 are in a higher risk category. What are you advising them to re remember or uh, what protocol are you advising if they're planning on coming in to get a flu shot at a pharmacy? I think you uh, outlined a great process um, with one particular pharmacy organization. It'll, it'll vary depending on the pharmacy. Many are using technology apps as well as websites and, and calling uh, using a phone, call in. Um, so there's various ways you can do it. Some are offering walk-in still um, and others are offering walk-in and appointment-based. And then some are offering only appointment-based. So it'll depend on, 
on the pharmacy, but I would suggest that people be patient. Uh, there's no reason to panic. There is enough supply, and uh, if you can't get it today or tomorrow, it will be available in the coming days and weeks. Justin, I want to thank you for you know um, allowing for a little bit of calm and a pause for you know a sober second thought on if we should be panicked about the flu shot and availability. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. Don't forget, we broadcast live three hours daily between 9 and noon. Hopefully you can tune in. It's on 640 Toronto.